desire to put out and create better content. Hi, this is Felicia Baxter recording from my new spot here on Forest Avenue in my creative, I think it's CQM, creative quality mailing because I want a million downloads and a million listeners. I haven't really rebooted it that much. I'm still going to be talking about COVID shenanigans, what I'm watching, what I'm eating, uh, and my own stuff, um, and not necessarily in that order. So I hope you will enjoy this episode as much as I have enjoyed creating it. And have a great day. This part is easier, easier, and getting easier because I'm making a concerted effort to highlight black people, black women doing bad shit. Just cool, bad gangster shit. Um, The only regret I have is not knowing as much details about these badass individuals as I know now. The first is Sir Joyner Truth. I don't know why I only, I knew as little about her as I did. And, but I'm hopeful to make up for this in spades. I did a post or reposted uh, something about her on my blog earlier today. What I am finding that it is better to post earlier in the morning I get more views throughout the day. Therefore, clicks on my blog at actually goes up the earlier that I, I post. I also know that there is a photo of her that's circulating around uh, with her as online predominantly, which I don't think is very flattering. I do like, I have actually found uh, paintings and other artist renditions of her uh, that highlight her beautiful burnished dark skin and better representation of what she is wearing. I also did not know that It appears that she was absolutely in her 80s, her 80s when she passed away, but her life had been longer uh wow, she definitely was. She was like 86 when she passed away, but she um 
is an African-American evangelist, abolitionist, and women's rights activist. What I posted on earlier was her speech, Ain't I a Woman, uh, widely known or not widely known. What I think most people don't know how widely or how extensive her history is, is how many children she had. Uh, she ran away, taking one of her younger daughters with her to freedom uh, the year before it was outlaw in New York. Um, I don't think most people know that her given name was Isabella Baumtree, uh, but Sojourner Truth was taken on probably after freedom. I don't know why it won't pull up on Wikipedia, but oh well. I don't know. I don't think people know that she got her freedom by running away to a neighboring abolitionist farm. Probably those same white abolitionists assisted her, helped her successfully. I didn't even know this that helped her sue for the freedom of her son. This was then probably either within the year or the year after uh, New York banned slavery. But I couldn't help but to reflect, reflect on in recent events has made me consider or think just because they did the right thing do they have a right to make sure that she has she owes them something because that is what I have a problem with in what we consider allies today you do the right thing but are you doing the right thing for the right reasons and what is your expectation for reciprocity? Is it a lifetime loyalty? Is it an observant and obsessive need to let the other person kill themselves so you can get what they want or not to rock the boat? Because if those things are necessary for loyalty, for you doing the right thing, then I think, was it the right thing in the first place? because it sounds pretty one-sided. And with those things, and with that said, I'm moving on to my next uh, person that I am happy that I was able to discover, and I didn't know she was such a badass until I started reading about her. Coretta Scott King. She was more known as the wife of the late Martin Luther King, but she was highly, she was from a great family in Alabama, highly educated, met uh, Dr. Martin Luther King while she, they were both in Boston at school. He at Boston College, her at the conservatory. She is, she has a BA in music. She was doing concerts and uh, recitals all through the South to support the cause. And until the end of her life, she continued 
the cause of freedom and peace. I didn't know she was um, instrumental in the not only the establishment of the king, because that was where his work, et cetera, was, was, you know, uh, has been preserved and is preserved. And but she continued the work on her own on her own because she was not only driven, but she was highly educated and, and by all accounts, an amazingly and just a smart woman, very talented. And that is why it seems like that was why she was producing who she is and who she was. She continued the fight for equality and peace. Their life, et cetera, was just so varied and but it was so short. I can only imagine I can only imagine how much more they could have done if he had only lived like another five years or another decade, but that was not in the cards. She continued his work and she made great strides. Oh, what I was alluding to her instrumental in the uh, Russian peace talks uh, with Gorbachev and the denuclearization of the, and the eventual demise of the Soviet Union the repercussions we're still feeling today with the nonsense that's going on in Ukraine because we have somebody that just didn't get over that. I just realized something. Putin is like those people that fought for the Confederacy uh, during our civil war, except for he basically has a whole country and a nuclear arsenal at his disposal, but he never got over a very, very bad and ill-advised idea. And that I honestly believe that idea was the USSR. You can't have a totalitarian government that is ruled by fear, greed and crazy because that's always going to fall. And you can't have a demoralized uh, group of people following you because they will turn on your ass in a heartbeat. And that's what I'm hoping is going to happen going forward. But the destruction of that type of government and that type of uh, illogic leadership is what Dr. King and his wife wanted us to see. And she was able to do this in a country that ignored that and could not reconcile that. But if they had listened, we probably would have been in a better and a stronger place. This is how badass she was. Constant pressure, constant pressure, working up until the end, until she took her last breath. And now we're able to reflect back and say, yeah, she had the, uh, they had a good idea. And this is what we policies and things, how we should have gone forward. Still should have uh, capitalized and moved forward on his ideas as well as hers from those original talks in the mid 80s. But here we are. I'm hopeful that we have enough of us that will also see um, this type of what we are missing out on or missed out on and how we can possibly go forward.
The other less known, but just as gangster is Murley Evers Williams. That's right. This is the widow of the late great Medgar Evers. It looks like, I don't think she has passed away, but she is just as gangster as, which I'm going to have to download this because I plan on creating a photo album or gallery highlighting these women in the notes uh, for my podcast notes. She's formerly Merle Louise Beasley, forever known as Merle Louise Evers Williams. She's an American civil rights activist and a journalist. Her husband was murdered and we knew who murdered his ass and it took her three decades to, because her husband was murdered in 1963, but it wasn't until like the 30 years later that his murderer was convicted. She was educated, has a BA from Pomona College. Uh, she was married to uh, Medgar Evers only for about 12 years before he was shot and murdered right in their driveway. She was born in Vicksburg, Mississippi, and that's where she and her husband in their early years did their work as far as as uh, Medgar Evers was the secretary uh, for the um, an investigative secretary for the uh, NAACP investigating lynchings and other civil rights violations. And it was this work that put him in a direct collision path uh, for harassment and then murder by the KKK. She intended to minor in music in her early education, but it was really difficult because there were a few colleges at that time that were open to any African-American, men or women. But Excel, in spite of those things they did, she would eventually meet Medgar Evans, who was, I didn't know he was that older than her, eight years her senior, and they married Christmas Eve in 51. They would move again, and then they would have three children, where she became a secretary for an insurance company. Interesting. She accomplished so much. She worked tirelessly for the NAACP. She, there is a Mecca Evers Institute, and I'm sure that's where his work and his life and his short career, um, just like the same for the King Institute, um, that's where uh, his works are harbored. But she would go on and write and publish Watch Me Fly and 
was the editor of the autobiography of Medgar Evers. These are some of the books that I've heard and uh, Coretta Scott King's books. I plan on adding uh, to because uh, both are as well as uh, Bernice, uh, I think Alberta King's uh, Martin Luther King's youngest daughter because all of them are amazing authors. All of these books should actually be added in the next several days to week uh, in Chatterbooks, my online bookstore available for immediate purchase if once available or if, if available. I didn't know that in 2013, why did I know this? Because I should have watched it. Um, I bet I can absolutely get that she let delivered the invocation at Barack Obama's second inauguration. Again, uh, President Obama being the realization of all the work that Medgar Evers, as well as Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King, were striving for. Both of their husbands could be uh, considered provocative, uh, provocative uh, icons, but icons they were not divisive. They are the epitome of unity and basically the lanterns and the yappers of extolling what democracy means and what freedom absolutely means. So with all of that said, I think uh, my roundup, back excellent roundup of these three powerful women, these are beacons of unity beacons of excellence and just all around badassery and I'm so glad that I got the I had the pleasure of finding out who they were and presenting it to the listening audience this is exactly what um coronavirus is telling us it ain't over and y'all bullshitting like is this shit's over it ain't over so for every mass mandate every uh anti-vax parade every single person that thinks it's over and everything that you do to orchestrate attack on sanity you're gonna pay for it either by history judging you stupid or somebody that's close to you getting extremely ill when they don't need to. It's not over. It really is not over. I believe as long as we have people that are ruled by avarice and their own misguided, self-inflated self-inflated grandeur, delusions of grandeur. That's what I'm looking for. We're always going to be in a pandemic. We're always going to have people that will put their bank balances above the public good. We always going to have, if as long as we're always going to have 
tragedies and these things as long as people who are grifters can figure out an angle to inflate themselves. They're going to ride out the delusion until people stop believing the delusions. I find those people to be the most dangerous and I, I find them to be more repulsive, the most repulsive. COVID has laid bare a lot of things and it's also made a lot of us become our own researchers and our own searchers for the truth. I will always have at my means a section or a subject. You should join the party. Got a lot of time to, to talk about on my podcast, because as I said, this podcast is basically writing itself. What COVID has allowed me to do is not only research and get into my writing and also to dream about what my next move is going to be. It also, I'm hopeful, is making me become a better person, a better doctor, a better scientist, because I'm going to use everything that I've learned over the last 20, 25, 30 years and apply it in a positive way. If I'm going to be a thought leader, I have to have a thought in my head that just makes sense and be able to articulate it. So the good news is the number of infections are going down, uh, but the rates of infection is still too high. I mean, 45,000 new infections per day, that to me is scary. But also the death rates are still going down. And I bet I would beg to conjecture conjecture that I would hate to be I, I conjecture that uh, if people if I want to be a thought leader I have to have the evidence to back me up. So going forward, I'm going to sort my endeavor to cite my sources and just make sure that if I'm going to be the COVID whisperer or the science whisperer, I got to basically uh, know what the freak I'm talking about. For example, the I honestly believe that the reason we're seeing the numbers absolutely decline and the death rate decline, although they're still relatively are still high, especially in the state of Tennessee, you can look at the World Health Organization as well as the uh, public health department's numbers to uh, that really back me up. We have great treatments now in the form of a pill. I don't believe the Regeneron infusion will work against Omicron, although um, it did prove effective with the Delta infusion. Um, The biggest tool in our arsenal to beat back the pandemic or to even live with this is vaccination and boosting and then adjusting the boosters to whatever uh, version of this scourge 
uh, helps or to fight against it. What do we also know about COVID? There's been a report that came out in Nature about long COVID and its association with, even with mild symptoms, um, they have noticed a decrease in gray matter pre and post COVID scans. Um, And they also looked at the volume um, of people that are unaffected with natural COVID. Now let's go back to the biology. Natural COVID infection, unlike vaccination infection, which is a planned um, and this is vaccination. When you get the vaccine, your body has a controlled reaction to protect you against the virus. When you get natural COVID, you don't have that type of fail safe, unfortunately. So everything is is just completely screwed up. You get, there are cytokines and a whole bunch of chemicals that work um, and the growth and a lot of your immune system's ability to fight off the infection is basically dysregulated. It's off kilter and it goes after not only the virus, but also healthy tissue, brain, liver, kidneys, heart, lungs. It, you get at risk for heart attacks and clots and uh, brain tumor, not uh, brain um, clots and strokes, etc. Part of your gut can die off. You uh, can clot off your arteries to your extremities and you can lose an extremity. All of these things happen with natural COVID. So you would want and you would think it would be smart not to have natural COVID. Um, We are still a little under 70 percent of all eligible adults and children in this country uh, for vaccinate that are vaccinated. The most vaccines have been doled out in this country is Pfizer, 123 million. Go to their website, check it out, y'all. We got 123 million reasons and fewer side effects to go ahead and get the uh, Pfizer vaccine. If you already had Moderna, you had no side effects, we'll bully for you. I'm a Pfizer girl so I, and a boosted Pfizer girl, so I'm good. Personally, I just my fat ass just don't want to get COVID. I don't want to die. I don't want to have to suffer. I don't want to have to have cold. I don't want to have to have, be on an inhaler. I don't want to have the potential to be on high flow oxygen. I don't want any of that. What I can't do, also, this long COVID ain't no joke. Because this increase, they also, but this is also what they know about people natural uh, after COVID. Not only do you have all this uh, dysregulation and craziness within your immune system, this heightened inflammatory um, lasts uh, so much longer in people that have COVID. So what is the most annoying, absolutely annoying other disease that we or I've talked about or that consumes me most days is cancer. 
I was asked a question during one of my duties that I really don't mind doing that's out inside of my job, uh, my day job. And they said the association with COVID um, and cancer, what we have, what I've noticed in my daily job, as well as by sitting on this committee, is the increased incidence of cancer that we're starting to see in my reviews of these particular types of cases. I think it's twofold. This data, this is National Institutes of Health, uh, the Cancer Society, Brigham and Williams, Brigham and Young, um, women's in Boston noticed that in the first several months of the pandemic, screenings for cancer went down about 90%. Um, if you don't check for cancer, you don't catch it early. So if you don't catch it early, by the time you do diagnose it, they're already at the end and there's really not a whole bunch you can do. Early detection decreases early um, death by cancer. And we know that. So it was no surprise to anyone when the death rates from cancers went up during the pandemic. But that had a lot to do with screenings. But there have been a couple of studies that not only show the decrease in screenings probably are associated with cancer, uh, and also, I want to give a sen uh, shout out to Minnesota Democratic Senator uh, Klobuchar. She is a testament. Not only was she screened uh, and they caught, detected early uh, breast cancer, the issue was she put off the surgery and the follow-up and her procedure to get rid of it. Although right now she's in remission, she does um, uh, support early detection because at least she, it was detected, but the putting off of the procedure uh, was a bit of a challenge. Um, and she's lucky that it did. By the time she had the procedure, et cetera, they didn't spread. She got diagnosed in 2020, but she didn't have her procedure until like well into 2021 for whatever reason. This also supports use of virtual option and telehealth um, as far as who really should get screening and a lot of the follow up to make sure and to encourage people um, to get it, to get the follow-up and to get back into the clinic. Cause she, what she, if they had done taken, if she had taken advantage of that option, she said this, she probably would have gotten in a lot sooner um, to get the procedure that she wants. And that needs to be an option. Um, who pays for that patient? It should be, um, the insurer probably should pay for these uh, telehealth or virtual options because again, uh, COVID is not over and it is basically modifying uh, our way or our ability to provide preventative health care, especially in this country and in the developed countries. We got to do better at that. So with, again, not only does this, uh, it lays bare that the structure of payment really needs to be changed in the face of COVID. But also, how do we get people what they need 
in spite of COVID, so they won't skip these preventative screenings. What I also have found is that the studies, several studies are still out and they, the studies that I've found from the National Institutes of Health to uh, a lot of the literature in breast cancer, especially in immunogenic, immunogenic driven types of breast cancer that COVID, as I said, is a bitch. There's a whole dysregulation with it, with these cytokines and these androgenic growth factors that basically the growth control switch is broken with COVID when you have natural COVID. And so if you have the genetic predisposition uh, to have a broken growth switch and you have COVID that is encouraging the growth of these defective uh, cells, you gonna get cancer. Remember, association doesn't mean causation, but what it does show that it kind of does make sense and we do need more research in this, uh, this new idea. So with that said, there is some very much alarming um, data that we need to explore as far as natural COVID. And it points to genetic predisposition to cancers. A lot of those have to do with growth inhibition being broken when you do have cancer and how COVID further increases your for that switch to be turned on. Because all of the fuckery that it does with your immune system and all of the dysregulation. So with that said, yes, there may be we may have only a tip of the iceberg to explain it. But one of the things that we do know is the people that have put off screening for early cancer detection, you don't catch it early, you're going to die early. Sorry. Also, now that we are getting caught up on those screenings, that now all of that backlog of people that probably should have been diagnosed back in 2020 or 2021, we're now just seeing them being diagnosed now. It has to do, yes, it has to do with COVID. Um, we suspect it has to do with the growth signaling, but it probably has to do with now we're just getting uh, caught up in the screenings as well as a lot of the other procedures, et cetera. Scheduling conflicts. We still got hospitals that are uh, basically shuttering. We still got labs that are shuttering. We still got backlog of uh, testing that hadn't been done because we don't still have the reagents probably. So with that, all of those things said, get screened, get your follow up. And then if you have something wrong, get the procedure. For, and also, I want to give a shout out to the Breast Health, uh, Mary Loescher Breast Center here in town. They do, I am considered high risk because of my family history. Um, my mother died of 
within about 18 months after being diagnosed with what I do believe now was probably uh, stage four breast cancer. It was metastatic. Um, she did not, she underwent oncoplastic reduction or a lumpectomy instead of, she should have gone through radical mastectomy and reconstruction, uh, chemo and radiation. Um, I don't know of um, any of the genetic markers uh, within her, uh, the tumor itself because she had still had advancements, but there were other mitigating factors on tax and tamoxifen. Um, and then she died. I am two years older than what, how old she was when she died of cancer and she was very young. Um, so that puts me in a high risk group. The Mary Locha Center here in town uh, has the ability to not only follow me up, encourage me to do breast examinations. If they have a telehealth option, I'll probably continue, I'll probably um, take advantage of that. So I don't, cause I don't particularly like going out into crowds and then to uh, the public. But I also, because of my high risk profile, I, my insurance, even though I have that still, I have a high deductible plan, uh, paid for me to get uh, a breast MRI. Except for the discomfort of that little breast thing, that little, when you lay on your stomach and you put your breast, you get the scans. It was fast, very efficient check-in process had the scans and I got my results today. Um, I am thankful and grateful um, of the access to this type of screening program. Um, and I encourage other people to get the referral to the center and to take their own breast health um, in hand. I also encourage because it it's starting to look about COVID's dysregulation is just another support to become fully vaccinated and boosted because of the associated dissociation with dysregulation in immunogenic immunogenic breast cancer. So I also not only have, I'm high risk for those things. I'm high risk for ovarian cancer, had three great aunts uh, die of metastatic ovarian cancer. Um, colon cancer, it runs in my family, my grandmother, maternal side. The paternal side was for the ovarian cancer, but my maternal side has a whole bunch of other breasts um, and uh, GI cancer. I, I've already had my colonoscopy. All of these things, um, and I'm five years late because they basically noticed that uh, young, younger people are being diagnosed with colon cancer and it's being, um, it's very aggressive by the time it's found. Um, and so they're recommending now to get your first colonoscopy at 45. I have to remind my cousin Viva, but who knows? She may or may not agree with that. However, what I do know is that if I can be a voice of reason, um, I can explain 
things, scientific advances and changes to you based on my own experience. So if I'm going to take preventive measures to maintain my own health, I'm going to pass that on if it truly if it does work. And again, this is personal. I don't like pain. Um, I don't want to. I just don't want to be sick. If you tell me something that you got the data to support it and it's a part of standard of care or standard practice, I'm all with it. So the takeaway. Oh, and so this is how I'm going to end this. And I hate ending these types of things on a negative note, but the dumbass COVID award goes to the Surgeon General of Florida, who basically says uh, the state of Florida will not recommend COVID vaccines to healthy kids. First, the CDC and AAP recommends vaccination, full vaccination to everyone five years and older. That means even healthy kids. All eligible persons five years or older. Kids five years and older. For a doctor with who is board certified to basically make that recommendation on a state level is not it's harmful, it's reckless, and it's delusional. I didn't even look. He says the data doesn't support it. The data does support it. That is why anyone that listens to so-called experts or definitely government officials, before you adopt anything, I would strongly suggest that you fact check these people, that you... And then you decide based on reason and your ability to rationally evaluate and come up with a rational plan of action. It took me some time to calm down enough to be able to say this calmly because I was angry when I people I don't like people give the reason why we have such a divisive and our response to this epidemic has been and the pandemic in general has been such a shit show. It's because we've gotten these talking heads and people saying things for their own uh, purposes, but not for what is right. Too many voices conflicting. But I want to basically tell you today, even though I'm giving this dumbass MD the dumbass award, I want people to sort through all the noise and just know what my stance is on it. My stance is rec- is based on the data, and it's based on uh, my uh, specialties as well as the high is in line with other experts as well as the CDC, which is and the World Health Organization, my source of information. And but I'm going to make some comparisons. But this is what I can completely agree on. 
the data supports that everybody over the age of five who is eligible get vaccinated and basically get vaccinated based on what I told you before. The association with long COVID, the prevention of severe illness, hospitalizations and death. Also, if you do survive with long COVID, the likelihood of you possibly having uh, immunological response that will predispose you to getting cancer if you have the genetic, yes, get vaccinated just because of that. And if you really are a scientist and you understand the scientists and you want us to believe, basically utilize all of that rational to come up with a, a solution that works for everybody and not just for some other type of means because this shit that's going on in Florida, y'all on something real. The Florida man actually is the governor and all of his little minions. And, um, and you got to be real careful who you cape for. And is it worth it? Is it worth it? So I have established that I can sit in the same place for hours on end, only to get up to flex or stretch my knee, feed my dog, cut off the water that filling up my pool and pee. I'm okay with that. What I've also found is that a lot of the shows, including Billions that I've binge watched up into its current season, Gilded Age, Sex and the City, the second movie, which I found surprisingly interesting, Star Trek, Discovery, and Picard. I think Discovery's in its fourth season, maybe? Star Trek, Picard is in its second season. Both have, including Gilded Age, have their own podcasts that are sponsored by the networks. And I believe the hosts are getting a pretty penny. And I'm still doing my podcast as a passion project because I want to do it and I like to do it. But I'm doing everything that I can to produce a great product in spite of no sponsorships. But hopefully one day I'll get a sponsor. That's one of the other things nerds will do. We'll figure out things. If I have to become a venture if or to attract venture capitalist funding, I will do it. There are VCs that want founders that all we do is want protection or support for our intellectual property. That is a thing, evidently. I just have to figure out how to pitch it and whom to pitch it to. And that's what I've been working on on my time off. And it's been, I believe, fruitful. If I want to be funded by the end of the summer, I need to do these things. So there I go. What I also have found in just all of these shows that I like to watch, having their own podcast and opinion, I got to watch the shows. So I can't call myself a fan of Star Trek with the United Federation of Planets flag hanging in my 
back room with every last uniform and badge and the books and maps. I can't call myself a super fan if I don't know what's up. So there is a new season of Picard that has dropped. You can review the details of the trailer that I'll have it in the podcast notes. But this is what I can tell you about the first episode after having to watch it twice. Um, one other vlogger commented, he said it had all of the richness of a movie. The premiere did had an actual Star Trek movie, of which I've watched all of them. And I can tell you all of the next-gen movies may be so because it followed the next-gen formula with the old white dupe card. Sir Patrick Stewart, granted, is probably one of the coolest captains on the planet. I do give it to him that the diversity of the Star Trek fear, but still ruled over by the old white dude. And even with Q, I don't know, y'all. The only reason why it got such high and favorable phase, because it did not deviate so much and too far from the white led Star Trek verse. I'm just going to have to put that out there. I don't know if I was any more or any less impressed with it more so than Star Trek Discovery, even though I'm following this 10B because it is a different dynamic and it's a whole different species. And the captain, Michael Burnham, is black and she's female. I'm with that. And I'm digging uh, the diversity of that cast and the badassery of all of the uh, queer and non-binary and just beyond fabulous outside of even the usual norm of Star Trek. They've went there. They haven't gone there that deep, that left since uh, Deep Space Nine. So, you know, I'm down with that. I don't see them trying as hard with Picard because it's right along the next gen and it picks up on some, even with Guinan, even, you know, Whoopi Goldberg, she looks good in this. Um, I think the older or aged Q even is fine. And the peppering in of a not so fresh ex Borg seven of nine, um, even Data, I think, shows up on subsequent episodes, but it's just so straight-laced Star Trek. There's no, su- there's no surprises. It is no, even no surprise that they go back to 2024 to L.A. because that's what's coming up in the next episode. The presence of Q and the continuation of the trial putting Picard on for the fallacy and the uh, putting humanity on trial uh, as represented by Picard is so white supremacist but I guess if you 
are ruled by that, eh, that's cool. I don't know if I'm going to be able to watch it all or if if I'm going to be as dedicated to watching all of the episodes as I once was with Next Generation. What I do know is I'm going to continue uh, to watch Star Trek Discovery because I think they're uh, getting ready to come up on the end of this season. Um, and I'm looking forward to season five. Um, I'm hopeful that Paramount is going to renew Star Trek Discovery uh, for season five, you know, and they stop BSing. I also am always interested in how people accept or dismiss change um, and the acceptance of this show, Star Trek Discovery, is tantamount to what is the shift in society. I don't know if all of the nerds that were leaning into Star Trek are chumpers or they just nerds that wanted a safe place to be able to express their leaning towards sci-fi. And it's it's escapism, but it's kind of escapism where weirdos and others, as long as it goes along with the original storyline with a white supremacist attitude is acceptable to them. I'm hopeful that they can lean into um, a changing world with using CGI and to cast a better light on the hope for humanity. And that's what go, brings me back to why I'm so fascinated by Billions, where I would love to be a production assistant or a writer's assistant to be able to write this show because it is such a, a duel between the haves and have-nots and how people are okay that want, it's just so stupid. People want to make money. They want to be successful as far as what is rated as successful in capitalism, but they want to penalize people that make a crazy amount of loot, but they want to reconcile it with religious and puritanical ways. And you can't have it both ways. I'm sorry. People like this Michael Prince character makes me itch because the only thing that separates him from the Bobby Axels of the world, Axelrods of the world, is he's lying to himself. Bobby Axelrod was straight up gangster. He's like, look, I love money. I want to be rich. I want to crush people. And he leaned into that. That's what he, his whole goal was. He never lied. And he was brilliant. This fool wants people to like him, but he wants to be a multi-billionaire, but he doesn't want to come with the dirt that what it means to be that. He won't trust or believe that, that he is not as dirty or more dirty than Bobby Axelrod. And Chuck Rhodes is such a Elmer Fudd. He wants to be righteous, but he still has the same... Uh, shortcomings and he wants to be rich he wants to bury them again because his puritanical ally 
white, feel bad about your privilege, but you utilize your privilege to get what you want. None of that is reconcilable. Reconcilable, but he still does it. And it just makes for a comedic relief in everything that he does in the state's attorney's office. And he lost, that's why he lost his U.S. attorney's job. I just can't. It wouldn't make good TV if you didn't have people like Rhodes and the people that cape for him, like the Condola Rashad chick, which cracks me up because Condola is one of the characters, Issa Rae's um, insecure and everybody hates her. But this prosecutor for the state's attorney's office, she's pretty badass and I like her. It's Felicia Rashad and Amar Rashad's daughter. Gangster. And and I really just saw her in uh, Sex in the City. I recognize her as Samantha's um, assistant. Who knew? What I am, I realized that One of my friends made a comment that I relaxed by watching movies about serial killers. I turn off the news and watch serial killers movies to relax. She's absolutely right. I like people making bad decisions as long as I'm not the one to make bad decisions. And I can see it up on the small screen. There's a lot I can experience right from my comfortable levity chair with my dog trying to fight me for corn dogs. One of the things that being in this pandemic has taught me is that there are real estate agents out for their own benefit and don't give a kidney about people like me. There are people that are your supervisors that want a pound of flesh just because they hired you. But that doesn't equate for loyalty. I'll support you. I, I, and I've also had to redefine my status as ride or die because I'm not ride or die. Because I ride with you as long as what you're doing is not stupid. <laughs> and I'll drop you in a heartbeat as, long, as soon as I figure that shit out as what it is. If you go into the left, you get ready right off a bridge. I'm not going to film in Louise with you. I just can't. And that is going to how it has to be. But I like watching movies and shows and reading books about people that are like that. They ride or die and they'll follow for loyalty or amicability. They do that shit. But that's so just not me. And maybe that's why I like watching and reading that kind of stuff, because it's so different than what I will be. And maybe I read those type of books so I can absolutely be caught up on how to avoid that type of predicament. So this is a warning everybody. I'm not really ride or die. I ride with you until you start really going off the rails. Because it's, if I see that you approach it, because you know I'm a GPS your ass. If I see a precipice, but you full steam ahead, bitch, you fitting to go off that bitch by yourself. I can't follow you. I really can't. Ride or die, I am not. It is so easy 
to record a podcast when there's so many good books to read and just so little time. And here's what I got coming from the Tenfro is reading vaults. I've had the privilege of adding several books and swag um, to my online bookstore, and I hope you will follow uh, to my bookshop.org slash chatterbooks uh, and pick up these great reads and more. This particular book, I just one of, one of the last ones that I just added is Calm the Fuck Down Journal. Practical ways to stop worrying and take control of your life. So many people are ruled by anxiety and stress. This is a way for you to stop freaking out with this interactive journal designed to help identify what's stressing you out and handle it once and for all. I like it because it's just another great way to re- to write out and be able to um, work through all of these things that could potentially uh, keep you from living your best life. Of course, I have to talk about Memphis, Tara Stringfeller's trilogy. It is the summer of 1995. I'm reading this directly from the descriptions from uh, bookshop.org slash chatterbooks. Ten-year-old Joan, her mother and her younger sister flee their flee her father's explosive temper and seek refuge at her mother's ancestral home in Memphis. If this was written with my sister, my mother and I, last name Baxter, it would have been. We temporarily were housed with my grandmother in her shack in Reedstown, then with my aunt Lut for almost a year on Terrazzo Trail before we ended up in Section 8 housing. Anyways, this is not the first time violence has altered the course of the family's trajectory. Half a century early, century early, earlier, Joan's grandfather built this majestic house in the historic black neighborhood of Douglas, only to be lynched days after becoming the first black detective. Wait a minute. Oh, being lynched days after becoming the first black detective in the city. Joan tries to settle into her new life, but family secrets cast a longer shadow than any of them expected. This book basically spans three generations and 70 years, and it comes to one glorious um, tale of survival in spite of. I also feature Black Girls Must Die Exhausted by Jane Allen. The same chick. Wait a minute. Nope, Tara Springfe- Springfellow was the other girl. It's written intimately intimately as if you're peering into the mind of a close friend. This book is a true testament to the stresses on women today and how great girlfriends and grandmothers are often the key to our sanity. It captivates. It's also, it's a part of a trilogy about modern womanhood and black womanhood it should be in which young black women must rely on courage, laughter, and love, the support of long-term friends, and to overcome unexpected setback that threatens the most precious things ever wanted. And it's so, and 
enriching that it may end up on the ban list because, of course, it deals with subjects that can make other non-blacks feel bad about themselves. But whatever about white fragility, I'm over it. Then there is Black Girls Must Be Magic. It's about an anticipate. This is the second in the installment of Tabitha Walker coping with her challenges. She is has discovered that she's knocked up after she's told she may not be able to have biological kids, probably because of fibroids or some dumb shit or myomectomy, but whatever. She throws herself into the world of single mothers by choice. And then she founds out that the local news station that she works out with this microaggressive bullshit is tripping and they're trying to, to silence her because of her natural hair. Really? So y'all want lace front wigs and weaves, but you don't want the chick with the fro, really? And you wonder why we start our own podcast and we don't give a fuck about what anybody says about our natural look. Oh, I. So read that, get back to me, and then we'll talk more about it. And then I also added... What is it? The violin. The violence conspiracy. This is one because I just recently, well, over a year ago now, two years ago now, moved from North Carolina and there's Ray McMillan. His life is already mapped out. If he's lucky, he'll get a job at a hospital cafeteria. If he's extra lucky, he'll earn more than minimum wage. But Ray has a gift and a dream. He's determined to become a world-class professional violinist and nothing will stand in his way. Not his mother who wants him to stop making such a racket. (laughs) That's funny. Not the fact that he can't afford a violin suitable to his talents and not even the racism inherent in the world of classical music. Yeah, maybe Mozart was probably a racist. But anyways, when he discovers that his great-great-grandfather's beat-up old fiddle is actually a priceless Stradivarius, of course. All his dreams are su- dreams suddenly seem within reach. Together, Ray and his violin take the world by storm. But on the eve of the renowned and cutthroat Tchaikovsky competition, the Olympics of classical music, the violin is stolen. A ransom note for a million dollars is left in its place. Ray will have to piece together the clues to recover his treasured Strad before it's too late and it's all in the storytelling this is a literary coming of age um, african-american mystery and detective novel that will keep you spellbound and with it for days to come or maybe 24 hours because it's just that gripping you may be able um to read It's 352 page, two, two page, 352 page tome in one sitting. If you are PTO and prepared the others that you can read it undisturbed or in between your takes of whatever you're binge watching on TV. Literally, it's just that good.
So that's how we're going to end this episode. And I'm going to end it with a, a positive word. I used to scoff at people making this statement because maybe because of its simplicity or maybe because it sounded more like an admonishment that I was being everything but kind. But then when I started investigating it for myself, that's when I realized that I was confusing politeness with kindness. Politeness is a fake superficial manner in which there's no required investment, no self-reflection. But being kind is an adjective. It is, on, it is an action. If you're kind to yourself first, it's like exercise memory. You will continue and be kind to others. Let that sit with you for a while. I'm going to try to be kind to myself. I'll be kind to others. It's very simple, and you got to repeat it. Lean into the spirit of a new year by counting your blessings, giving to others, and spreading happiness. I know I will. And this episode or this podcast is my means to spread joy and happiness and light and enlightenment. There's so much going on with aggression and um, just meanness. But if I can leave you with one small positive thought, start your day with that, that can change everything for you and, and just basically change your day. Don't forget to check out Dale's Angels Inc. for the notes on this podcast as well as other works by CQM in, um, that are, and other contributors that are in work or in um, being edited right now. Um, also, check out my Instagram feed, Tenfro is Reading. You can check me out on Facebook, Tenfro is Reading Book Club, as well as my YouTube channel, Tenfro is Reading and Eating. And what I'm just chatting and streaming um, at TV Food Wine Girl on Twitter. Uh, navigate to Riders Block Coffee or shipabagaddicts.com. Use my promo code Tenfro Coffee or Tenfro Got Jokes, respectively, to get a percentage off of your order. Don't forget to drop me a line at tenfrowisreading at gmail.com. Um, all non-trolling messages may be actually uh, read online, and you can do the same if you are in Podbean or Anchor or wherever you listen to the podcast. And again, shedding light and positivity, and I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I've enjoyed creating it. Until next time, bye. Bye.